0: everyone. Welcome back to the Earthsea Love podcast and I'm so pleased that I took the decision to extend the episodes that were due to come out in 2020 and took that decision to include the last two episodes that are coming up this is one of them, um, which were recorded in November, um, November 2020, and maybe it was my capacity, but I was just thinking, yeah, yeah, we'll record these, and then we'll just keep them over till 2021, and um, being part of these conversations, and and just living and experiencing the goodness in each and every one of these I mean, the whole series have been really well. But these last two ones are keeping the bar high. <laughs> so we're going out on a high here for the first season. It's just like, i it would have been selfish of me. I'm not even going to say lazy of me. But it would have been me not keep on pushing hard. If i just let these sit on the, the MacBook. And waiting for a few more months down the line to release them. Um... So I'm so pleased that I made that decision to bring you some extra episodes this year because they're well worth it, they're well worth it. So this one with Velda Thomas. We met many moons ago when I was over in Washington State on a black nature residency. And I'm sure we just, we just met at the tail end of my visit there. I went there a number of times. And I was introduced to her by Sarah Spathes, who was the executive director at the time of the Jefferson Land Trust. And, you know, she says she must meet Velda, sound though a woman of colour. And um, she's looking to get some land. And, you know, so really good if you talk to her. So I met her at a place of work and we chatted and then we kept up an email correspondence so I could you know, get to know Velda better so then I could write a, a poem um, in response to our conversations and I remember the poem because it was almost like a, a love song to the earth and it was all about Velda and how she liked to get her hands dirty in the soil to be really close to the earth and honour her the earth and and what bounty she brings for us and um so it was really good to continue that conversation in a sense for this podcast and to find out that there's that history within Felder's ancestry her grandfather she mentions her granddad um from the Caribbean who who instilled in her that love of the land and and working the land but communing with the land to bring to bring forth sustenance and you know subsistence um, farming um, produce that was then shared throughout the community and um, that obviously left an impression with Velda because now she's a woman herself with her own land and able to live debt free um, because of that and and being a steward and that's what we explore within this episode the idea of stewardship and that can only come if you actually take ownership of yourself and i think this flows really well into um my last intro when i was saying that i am i am self loving self caring self acceptance of myself now and how i'm practicing that day-to-day, moment-to-moment, and it does mean that I have that ownership of myself and who I am, flaws and all, so then I can, as I was saying, show up in the world and be of service to others, but to nature, to Mother Earth, and really step up and be a steward, Um, protect, conserve, champion, um, foster closer relationships in others, others that look like me. So then we can have that community and that that self power, yeah, self yes, self acceptance, self ownership. So we are standing as stewards for nature, for Mother Earth. Do so that from it, from a truth, from a real. Body, knowledge, wisdom of ourselves, and how we are connected, we are one with nature, so yeah, so we we touch upon this, and um sovereignty is another word that comes up, and um and our past, our past is how we've had that disconnection from the land, and that wasn't of our doing, we were forced. From our homes, from our lands and taken across the Atlantic Ocean to work somebody else's land for their profits. And how once that freedom came from the plantations, from slavery, then there was that run from the land. Because it held such trauma. And what we discuss is how going back to the land can actually heal that trauma almost like that that circle going back to the land from where we were taken from the land because our ancestors and you know my west african ancestors were rural they were farmers they had that connection with the land and in that white hand coming into our continent and stealing and taking and being helped i know they were helped by black people africans but taking our ancestors away from the land we've missed we've lost that connection and how we're trying to rebuild that connection remember that connection now and then we we you know we talk about our writing and how how nature shows up in our writing and the final thing It's about grief. We do touch upon grief and again, how we have to allow ourselves to process, to transform through all these feelings of loss, of grief, of death. To be actually reborn, rebirth, the next better version of ourselves bringing along all that we have learned and carried in the process so yeah it's a good it's a good episode and I think you're going to enjoy it um so after this one there'll be one more episode with a guest and then I think I'm going to finish off the series with the solo one where we'll recap we'll go over what we have achieved this year we will celebrate we had a party to begin and we're gonna have a party to end the first season because we have done good let's hope you enjoy this episode take care bye for now Elder Thomas to the SC Love podcast. Thank I'm you so, so much. Happy to be here. It's so good to see you. I mean, it's you been yes. it has,
1: it been, has years. been a long time. It has been a really long time. And I remember just that we had that lovely connection when you were here mm. all those years ago. So mm. it's I wonderful know. to kind of uh, keep that thread alive.
0: Let's just establish the basics. I usually ask, um, Oh my guests, it's like, where are you in the world? What season is it? And what can you see outside your window?
1: Yeah, yeah. So I'm in the Pacific Northwest coast of the USA of America. So in the state of Washington, it is fall and outside of my window, I have a stand of um, four big cedar trees that I'm looking at and kind of a maple tree to the side that's um, shedding its leaves right now so mm-hmm. yeah we have the evergreens and the deciduous and uh, we live on a piece of woodland that's about two point two point five acres so um, yeah we're surrounded by nature.
0: Yeah thank you because I yeah. remember when we connected after my visit to washington state there uh-huh. was that issue uh were you trying to get land then and it wasn't quite happening and you might have been work living in port townsend but it sounds now that you have got land you have got right. your own land now
1: yeah we do we do have our own land yeah we've been in a lot of different um living situations here i kind of I think I kind of consider us homesteaders. Mm. Or like lately I've been thinking about the the kind of uh, vision of the black pioneer. Ooh. You know, the 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 um person that kind of goes back to the land and homesteads and kind of is in ownership and stewardship of the land more than ownership, I guess I would say. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yes, yeah. so because mm-hmm. that's a, a lovely word, stewardship. And I came to know that word through um, coming to Port Townsend and working with the Jefferson Land Trust and Sarah, and that idea of stewardship, what does that mean to you, rather than as you said, you correct yourself, rather than ownership
1: Uh Mm-hmm, mm-hmm I mean, actually, you know, I do believe that for, um, people of color and black people specifically, it's really important for us to, um, step into our sovereignty and to kind of claim, like, maybe it's, maybe it's more like a a self-dominion in the body and then we can step into stewardship. Mm -hmm. So I think that, um, it's almost like ownership and stewardship maybe come hand in hand, um, so anyway, well, I feel like for me, once we bought this piece of land, it was completely wooded with nothing on it. So the stewardship is, it's, it's like being in relationship with the land and understanding, taking the time to listen and understand and see what the land is calling for rather than trying to be dominant over the land. Mm. Does that make sense? Oh, a little God. bit?
0: Yeah, no, totally. It makes sense. Yeah. And I would think, I mean, I'm seeing changes now, but I would say that's a minority actually attitude to not try and dominate nature and the land because yeah. I feel that we're in this present situation because of that that need, that desire, that want to dominate the land and just yeah. to squeeze out as much as we can get from it. You know, Absolutely. it's a resource, it's an asset, it doesn't have life or sovereignty in its own right it's just a case of there is something that we can use and abuse
1: yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely I mean I think when we when we first bought this piece of land it was kind of like you know the the tendency would be here in the U.S. to um, get some big machinery in like hire a building company and just like kind of basically I feel like know excavators are are pretty um violent towards the land if they're not used with care Mm -hmm. so um we happened to find somebody who was an old farmer here old farmer friend of mine that agreed to come and help us um kind of sculpt the land and it's a sloping piece of property so we didn't have any flat space that we could actually i mean of course you can build in a hillside but Um, I would say it was kind of like maybe a 30 degree angle of land. So we ended up kind of just really taking our time. We lived on it for about a year before we actually had the excavator come in. And then in that year, we took our time to, I did a lot of work in the woods, clearing the underbrush and just kind of getting to know the, the trees and the you know, the feeling of the land. So once the excavator came in, we had an idea of what we wanted to um, expose. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like kind of like plants, humans need sun. Mm-hmm. So we couldn't, we didn't want to live like right in the, the depths of the woods in the dark, we needed some sun. So we kind of made about a quarter acre clearing, I'd say. Mm-hmm. And um, since then, we've, we, we do a lot of stuff by hand. I'm I mean, I feel like that's what I'm talking about, kind of the black pioneer. I'm pretty handy with a pickaxe.
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, yeah, we do a lot of our own stuff. We've built a small cabin here. You can kind of see a little bit of it behind me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we don't have debt, which is oh, amazing. So cool. You know, so in terms of kind of like being able to have a feeling of sovereignty, I think that's huge. Yeah. Like, you know, feeling like, okay, I'm living on this land, I'm taking care of the land. And I don't know, I feel like I, I was born kind of feeling indebted for, I don't even know why, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so to, to have that feeling of like, we're just building as we go, as we have the resources, mm-hmm. um, it does sometimes mean that we have to live a little differently, you know, than other people, a little more simple. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think we're okay with that.
0: Yeah. Oh gosh, that sounds wonderful to be actually debt free.
1: Yeah and
0: living living in in relationship, connection, and harmony with the land. And yeah. I think you just saying that now actually makes sense because I've said you're looking good, you're looking yeah, really yeah. you're glowing, <laughs> you know, and different to when I saw you last. I'm assuming that's because The stress that's been just dropped, yeah, being tied to the Western way of producing and um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. going about life, really, in your own that in that own space, you're you are on your own time, and so are you still. We want to. I want to talk more about the land, but let's just talk are you still a sound practitioner and a licensed yeah, massage yeah practitioner? I'm
1: still I, I'm still practicing um, body work energy work massage um, sound I'm writing a lot yes um, yes yeah, so I'm super excited that. Actually, in some ways more excited about writing than I am about other things but I feel like you know when you when you get to live a life and experience a lot of different things it all feeds into um the writing so the writing has is right now very healing for me yeah
0: yeah cuz that's what it was a case of getting your July newsletter and it was a lovely picture of you sitting down among some wildflowers. There was some wildflowers (laughs) and that was beautiful. I think, oh, I must get. My daughter styled that
1: picture. It's
0: beautiful. And then then when I, when I read that you were writing and you're writing about travel, you say healing trauma and Mm -hmm. horses, and being a woman and being a woman of colour. And you've yeah. recently opened um set up a Patreon page. Right. Yeah. So people yeah. can support your writing and yeah. get this exclusive right. So, you know, just let's talk a little bit about your writing. You're excited about that. And I'm totally on the same page when you're saying everything that you are doing in your life those experiences do feed into your writing and I use it as a way maybe to process those experiences to work through how are you using your writing now
1: well first of all I kind of have to say that I feel like you know as a young as a younger person as a child I used to write a lot I was really kind of having a really vivid imagination and I was a big dreamer, you know? So oftentimes people would like snap their fingers and be like, um, um, come on, like snap out of it, Velda, you know, get here. So I think I was really kind of, um, in my own, in my own imaginary space a lot of the time growing up. Mm-hmm. And I think then, you know, I kind of, I don't know, maybe as you grow, you just kind of put those aspects of yourself, um, to one side kind of, not even realizing how important it is. So for years I was a journaler but never ever considered myself a writer. Uh, Let me think, I think it was maybe two or three years ago I ended up meeting my daughter in Morocco and I was there for about three days by myself before she arrived and I was sitting on the rooftop kind of just kind of scrolling through my phone and all of a sudden I was just like, huh, I think I'm going to write something. I'm going to open this notepad and just kind of start writing. And it was like my muse arrived and I had this voice that I was even a little bit unfamiliar with in the words, (laughs) like looking back at it, I'm like, who wrote that? You know? So, um, so what happened was I started just posting kind of travel blog on Facebook And a lot of people responded to that. And then I started posting things about my relationship to my body, being being a person with brown skin in a predominantly white community. I got a lot of comment and a lot of interaction on those kind of posts. So that was kind of like 2018. So then kind of fast forward to this year, this year at the beginning of the year, my husband and myself went back to Morocco and spent two months there and we came back to the US in March. So I was writing all that time. And then when I came back in March, the pandemic hit and then George Floyd was murdered and all of those, all of the things that kind of came out of that. I guess you could say the the racial climate here, kind of the tension being really palpable. I, I decided to kind of rewrite some pieces I'd written before and then write more pieces. Um, around, you know, racial identity, healing, kind of just how it is to be in this body and be of color and be walking around, you know, yeah. and... Um, I also decided at that point to start a Patreon account and to not post my writing on Facebook, mainly because I felt like th- the process of the writing is is emotional labor and I was not being compensated for it. So it was kind of like really looking at, okay, you know, if this is my art and this is what I'm willing to share, this is how I want to do it. And I want to have an audience that is there to support me regardless of what I what I post that is just kind of really interested in hearing my voice. So that's kind of how, how that developed. And what I ended up with was a body of work that I'm calling um, Blended Personal Perspectives on Truth.
0: <laughs>
1: and right now it's um, being copy edited and getting ready to have kind of a I'm going to print a dozen copies to just have some readers look at it and then hopefully I'll have it printed. And what's interesting about it is I decided to make it, so it's personal narrative poetry, but it's also a journal as well. So it's, what I wanted to do was invite the reader to process their feelings outside of having to bounce ideas off of black bodies in a book. So, Mm -hmm. so, you know, people can just basically buy the work and there's reflections at the end of most of the pieces to kind of suggest uh, a leading question to have people go into that. And then, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited about that. Um, Right now I'm working on rewriting some things about Morocco and also wanting to i have a big um, call towards writing about trauma
0: mm-hmm. and
1: about healing trauma, yeah, and I really feel like nature and the land has huge capacity for healing trauma so um it kind of gives me goosebumps even saying that you know it's like wow how is that possible you know but just like you say you know looking at me now you're like oh she doesn't even kind of look like the same person you know Mm -hmm. so I feel like um that's part of it is like you know how how can I learn to be with my body and be with nature and recognize that I am nature and kind of find that space of oneness and stillness to heal. Yeah.
0: Oh gosh. Yeah. Super exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting goosebumps just listening to you and I'm so many things just so landed, landed in my core there. That idea that you're doing those personal personal narrative poetry and journal and it's these blended personal perspectives yeah Mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. um, on truth Uh and this is like ringing alarm bells because i'm doing a mixed genre memoir which is personal essays poetry practical exercises imagery and photography yeah 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 and so I'm I want to ask you the question why why are we doing it that it's blended genres and not just one genre I got my own take of it why but I'd like to hear from you why why
1: (laughs) yeah I think that what's going to be, and I keep talking to my kids about it. You know, my kids are now like 19 and 23 and I keep talking to them about how the way forward in the future is not about reproducing what's already happened. It's really about dreaming and imagining new forms of creativity, about kind of stretching ourselves um, into areas that We didn't even know existed, you know, really pulling forth from kind of the spiritual realm and the earth and and taking the time to listen to kind of really, really feel into what's needed. I mean, it's Mm -hmm. kind of interesting. The other thing about that that I want to say is that, you know, when it comes to kind of being part of um, BIPOC community here in the U.S., I feel like it's really important to me that rather than me coming up with an idea and just kind of putting it out there, that I'm actually responding to a response, uh, to a request, mm.
0: responding
1: to... a a request that's coming from communities. So I'm not just kind of being like, oh, well, I think it would be really good if everybody just came around and we had a fire and da, da 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 da, you know, but kind of really listening, like, what is, what does this black community need here? Well, maybe they need housing, maybe they need food, maybe they need childcare, you know, to really respond to what the specific need is as opposed to my own idea of what that might be. So in that, I feel like we have to kind of ask people to, to um, step up and interact and not be passive. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: You know, so that's part of me wanting it to be a journal. It's kind of like, I'm not going to, and the same thing, even as a massage therapist, it's kind of like, I want you to be on the table and I want you to use your breath. And I want you to, to kind of move your body if you need to. And we're going to do this together. Like healing is not something that I'm going to do to you. It's something that we're going to, participate in and hopefully I can hold space so that you can open your body to what it needs right Mm -hmm. and I think that it's the same in in the writing it's kind of like you know I here I am just putting out something that was living in me so that you can uh respond to
0: it yeah yeah talking about nature and healing and trauma healing Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. I'm I'm writing this essay at the moment around grief and how mm-hmm. nature. Mm-hmm. I knew accurate. we were going <laughs> to talk about this. I just Did you know? We Did, I don't know. <laughs> I this don't is know. so
1: funny. I had a sense we were going to talk about this. Yeah? I,
0: have
1: so, yeah. I have so much to say about that girl. <laughs> oh,
0: well, <'cause> like, <laughs> I, it, I don't know. I mean, like this is where I am. I'm sitting in it at the moment, grief and writing about it. And, And working through it in so many ways, you know, grief uh, about the life that we've we've lost because of the pandemic, grief over the the end of my marriage. But I know because of the way society says, just got to get on with it, man, stop wallowing, you know, get Uh on with it, uh um, that I'm still processing the grief of my father when I was nine and my grief of my mum when I was 27. Yeah. But I know that being, getting into the sea, getting into the sea, uh-huh. that's, my, that's uh-huh. my bag, helps me heal, helps yeah. gets me out of my head and into my body. Uh-huh. Um, and it makes me present. It gets me yeah. present. Walking in the woods alone, away from uh-huh. everybody else, uh-huh. no judgment, uh-huh. nothing said, is yeah. another yeah. way that I can just drop into my body. But then, I don't know, it's a case of like, instead of being numb, going through my life numb, Mm -hmm. it wakes up my senses and it means that I'm open and I'm smelling things and I'm feeling things and I'm alive, yeah? Yeah. And through that process, I come to that Mm -hmm. conclusion, you know, like, you know, it's all the natural cycle, isn't it, death? Right, uh, right. You know, and it means that I can move a little bit easier and accept grief, and accept how it feels, all the emotions, anger, yeah, so this is me and grief, but tell me about you and grief. Yeah,
1: I think that I was like, not so much now, but before, I think I was a denier, you know, I was a denier, an avoider, and a distractor, you know, I would like do anything to avoid, distract myself from actually feeling what I needed to feel, (sighs) you know, I, I kind of, I had a pretty um a traumatic childhood, a fair amount of emotional abuse, and I feel like I have been like walking around with that trauma but not ever f- turning to look at it, always kind of like, oh, just sweep that under the rug, that doesn't really matter, you know? Or or knowing that there was some kind of like niggling little pain, something that was like tapping on my shoulder and just ignoring it, you know? So When my mom passed away in 2017, actually, it was, um, I'm going to be super honest, it was a relief. You know, we had had a very um, difficult relationship. It had been years of kind of, I think, I think when I think about it now, I think I felt like I was her protector and her um, caregiver when I was a child. And that kind of just transferred over into my adult life. So um, what happened was after she died, I was in the UK for about um, six or seven weeks, like taking care of her, her estate. I was very fortunate that I could be with her, not at the moment that she passed, but for about three days before she passed, I came from the U.S. and, and was able to do that. And that was a really, a deeply spiritually opening experience for me. Not, I, I have never really had a fear of death. I've always had a curiosity. Mm-hmm. So that was, I, I'll just tell you, like the, the moment that actually kind of, after she had passed away... We were in the, she passed away in the hospital and my younger sister and myself were there and a good family friend and the nurses asked, you know, is there anything that we can do for you? And I said, well, and I don't know why I said it. I said, I want to wash her body. And they were kind of like really? And I was like, yep, that's what I want to do. So, and I asked my sister if she wanted to, and she said, no, but she would sit and be present. And the family friends stayed as well. So because she had, um, you know, like ports in her body and things like that, I had to have a nurse be present, but together we washed her body and it was the most, I, I kind of felt like, wow, you know, in some ways, you know, human life is, when I think about her human life, and then I can think about other people's lives as well. It's like perfection and imperfection all at once, right? You know, you can be so perfect, like she was the perfect mother for me, but she was so imperfect as well, right? Mm -hmm. So I felt like the one thing afterwards, thinking about it, I was like, wow, the one thing that I can do for you is send you away with my loving touch, And so that's what it was. It was kind of like this process, uh, a ritual almost of washing her body, putting her in a shroud, and then a couple of hours of sitting with that body, her physical body, I didn't feel like she was there anymore. Um, I was like, okay, I'm done. I can leave. So in that moment, I kind of didn't necessarily feel a ton of grief. I wasn't like, you know, I was maybe teary, but not like wailing, you know? So um, I came back to the U.S. and about, I don't know, maybe six weeks after I left, a dear friend of mine passed away of cancer. And that kind of like, it was like everything started to spill out at that moment. And I was sobbing and crying and like couldn't, pretty much, so couldn't function for about three days mm-hmm. because I was so in it, you know, but I was like Thank the Lord that something cracked me open to feel it, you know, because otherwise before I couldn't feel it at all. I was like so busy kind of trying to hold everything together that I couldn't feel it. And we were on this piece of land at that point and something in me just said, go out to the woods. And I went out into the woods and I started this process of like moving woody debris around the woods. I was obsessed. Every day I would go out there. It was like I, I couldn't, it didn't matter if it was raining, frosty, whatever kind of weather, I'd just dress up and out I would go and be moving this wood around. And it was kind of symbolic because I felt like, oh, it's like I was shifting like all the the decaying debris of my life, you know, and kind of like moving it and clearing space for more um, air and more health and more, um, more of me to be present, really. You know, I was like clearing away parts of me that, that maybe were not even me, you know, I don't even know. So I did that for about, I don't know, a year. A year I was in the woods. My husband thought I was mad you know oh she's in the woods again I'd invite friends over with me can you come over help me to move these logs I'd be cutting down trees with a handsaw you know I was like I was obsessed with with kind of cultivating and tending to the woods and then um and then I went to Morocco that first time and after I came back I was like "Hmm, I don't feel like I need to do that anymore I'm good (laughs) you know okay. so so it was kind of like you know that process of grieving of kind of like allowing myself allowing my body to move it through i can't tell you what i was thinking about whilst mm. i was moving that wood around but i know that it was transforming me in some way mm. so that's kind of and and i also feel like sometimes people grieve for things that they long to experience that they haven't experienced you know so it's kind of like it's not just about death and dying it's about longing too right yeah yeah it's so many things yeah yeah and and i think you know for me like it was that ability to to just allow my body and and myself thank goodness I, you know, had a piece of land that I could do that on, I to turn towards it and just let it take me mm. until I came out the other end.
0: Yeah. It held yeah. you. It held you. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. it's a big fun. story.
0: It's, it's, I have this tendency when things get uncomfortable for me to, um, uh-huh get sweaty eyebrows
1: yeah, know, yeah yeah yeah
0: <laughs> i don't know how yeah, yeah. but it always sweaty eyebrows and just then i i was having sweaty eyebrows because yeah, you yeah. Were, what you were saying was really really touching the nerve a core and so much truth there i not only saw it but i could feel it yeah and there was that rawness there but also there's so much beauty there to sit with those feelings and work through them and it does it does take courage but then also it's that I think I felt I think I
1: felt like it's kind of I write about it a little bit you know like feeling like like if I turned towards it and actually let it take me I might explode or something you know like I might just not have the capacity to, um, but I really believe that, you know, in our bodies, our bodies are infinitely wise, you know, just like nature is, it's like bodies know, um, what we can handle and what we can't handle, you know, or so, and I don't think that, you know, spiritually, I don't feel like I've ever been pushed, you know, allowed myself to be pushed through an experience that didn't serve me on the other side, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Oh, the other side of this is way better, and it was
0: sucked. But okay, you know, yeah, 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 and it is. <laughs> laugh it? about it
1: now, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, we, and it's good that we can laugh because it is holding all those emotions, all those feelings—the joy and yeah. the pain. So many strands to to pull up there, and your ancestry—you've got UK, Canada, and the states.
1: I was brought up in the UK, so I actually was born in Luton. I'm kind of like sometimes when I say that, I'm like mm, Luton, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, I was born there. I don't. Feel, it's interesting because I don't feel like uh, that's home mm-hmm. at all. I don't feel like England is home to me in any mm-hmm. way. Um, but my grandparents were from the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. So my grandfather was from Dominica, my grandmother from Antigua, and my mm-hmm. mom was born in Trinidad. and um
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
1: and I actually don't know my father I never met my father I was the product of a one night stand sometimes I'm like oh my god you know like my star just descended and (laughs) here I am you know like who who, go figure you know (laughs) so um so I've never met him. He he would have been, you know, the, the white side of my family because I'm of mixed race. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was raised by my grandparents and my mom. And then she married again when I was about four years old. So I grew up there and then moved. I met my husband and we moved to Hawaii together for a while. So we spent some time there. And he actually has a history with Canada. I don't. But, you know, we're close to Canada here. And then uh, we moved from Hawaii to
0: here. So was nature being close to the land part of your upbringing part of your childhood Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. was it coming from the Caribbean side
1: yeah yeah absolutely I mean I have really strong memories of my grandfather and I kind of like like to give a shout out to him as an ancestor right now you know (laughs) a good ancestor like doing the work so he um he was a gardener and Mm. I think when I I went to Dominica um Later, about 10 years ago, and I realized oh, you know, the way that people are with the land here is if you have it, you have to produce food, it's about sustainability. And resource, you know, so my memories of him, even as a a very young child, he cultivated the whole of his backyard into food production, built a greenhouse out of window panes, had fruit trees. And I used to follow him around and I could, by the time I was very young, identify food, food plants by their leaf. So that's how I started off kind of having a connection to the land. And then um, I remember he would harvest and we would walk around the neighborhood with a basket just to the neighbors, giving people food. It was kind of part of the ritual, like around this time of year, everybody would get pumpkin, squash, cabbage, whatever he was growing. Then when my mom was not a gardener, really, because she was unwell from the time I was about eight years old but um, I did. I love to have my hands in the earth. It was just Mm -hmm. like, I could spend hours out there um, planting, weeding, cultivating, you know, whatever it was. And um, I still have a garden now. Mm -hmm. Um, Not a huge, it's not a huge, I have a lot of um, berries and herbal medicinal plants. I'm not a huge kind of I wouldn't say I I produce enough food for our family to live, but it's enough to be able to go out there and kind of enjoy a little bit every now and again. Mm. Um, So yeah, that definitely did impact me, still impacts me. Yeah. Mm. The connection to the land and having, having that, as a resource is huge. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I just recently um, went to a gathering of young black farmers from, from the Pacific Northwest, which was really exciting to me because I felt like, oh yes, you know, it, it, they came from Seattle, So they're in an urban environment where they have a lot and they're into producing food. And I just thought to myself, it's so beautiful to see black people back with the land, Mm -hmm, you mm -hmm. know, and to see them, you know, so many of them talked about how, how healing it had been for them to go to this little plot of land and volunteer. And they kind of operate it like on an honor system. I think the, the gal who runs it said, if you come and you sweat, you can take some food. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> kind of like that, and it was just like, oh, that's beautiful. Children and young people can can have access to that even in the city.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow! It is a reclamation. We're reclaiming the land because we've had that disconnection from the land. Um, I've just been doing some research here around black nature. That's what I call it about black and brown <laughs> yeah. bodies. A connection with nature and what we've been finding is that the older generation has this knowledge and the younger generation doesn't have this knowledge right. and there hasn't been that transference of that knowledge or those conversations right. taking place
1: yeah. so it
0: is a case of like they might have come to the UK from <laughs> rural areas Asia, in Africa, in the Caribbean and left it behind to move mm-hmm. on to become and we become urbanized but there's a, a small number now who are trying to get back to the land to reclaim yeah. remember that thing uh-huh. and going to the elders to share that knowledge and this now there's going to be more of that I don't know joined up joined up thinking between the right. ancestors and the young. yeah it's and that is it is so beautiful and it's so needed because where there is that attitude and i've said it myself that we don't have a relationship with the land but it's a lie to say that we have had and it's still there within our dna in our body memories that there is that
1: absolutely yeah i think also here
0: in the US,
1: you know, it's also kind of connected with slavery. Yes. And and that feeling of like I was a black body and I was used for profit. This was this was a way for somebody to make profit by using my black body Mm -hmm. to work on land. So Mm -hmm. it's almost like having to like go back to kind of pre slavery times, to remember, you know, what was my connection to the land before that, mm-hmm. and how can I still benefit from it now, or how can I commune with it to, you know, have a reciprocal relationship with it now?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that is going back to Africa. You know, mine yeah. is West Africa, and there it was. They worked the land, they worshipped gods and goddesses, you know, the Orishas mm-hmm. who were connected to. Yeah the land the rivers the seas yeah and it was all it was all the whole thing holistic thing all connected as one and in harmony and and that was just like cut off cut off and the whole relationship with land changed so it was a case of like yeah definitely when freedom came from slavery it was get off the land because it held such trauma and pain and it
1: held trauma yeah and, so, and also, I think that there was this feeling of um, industry is progress, mm-hmm. you know, a, a feeling of kind of like, if I can progress in industry, then I can support my family and it looks like moving forward. But I think actually now, in my mind, I think really simplifying and getting closer to the land looks like moving forward
0: yeah totally totally yeah yeah <laughs> and we're still having say with the elders the conversation of saying why why you want to go camp out you know yeah, exactly. there's no toilets why are you going yeah. backwards yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah. but yeah that <laughs> is the way forward it is a case of uh jeff bridges just just said no the trees let's talk to the trees let's let's go <laughs> to the trees because You know, we need the trees. Absolutely. Yeah, so just thinking about Black nature, that's what brought me to Washington State on a residency to talk to the Indigenous people and their relationship with the land and how they were working with the Jefferson Land Trust. I was doing that, and now that was like maybe six years ago now. (laughs) I was doing that because I had an issue of writing about my black identity and writing about nature because I wasn't seeing many examples within the UK setting of writing about a relationship with the landscape I was thinking that I needed to find the words find the language to actually marry these two together now I know it's just like because of that relationship I have now and developed I just write and it's there it's there it's yeah, i've always yeah. been doing it but for yeah. some way i needed to have that label on it and i needed to strive and i'm interested mm-hmm. to see how is turning up in your writing or how is it is it the foundation it's, of your writing or how do you nature describe? yeah yeah how does how does like black nature specifically yeah is that- well i say black nature because it's our black bodies it's always it's, yeah. you know yeah. my totally. my totally. memoir yeah. is um black woman with slash in nature but the issue is when i am with nature all those sort of like identities and constructs are, are gone
1: yeah it's nothing it's, it's yeah, not yeah it, yeah it's not about that at all, yeah. is it? I've been um, really fortunate. You know, this is one of the the benefits of trauma, right? Like, you know, I don't know that we ever talk about the privileges or the <laughs> benefits that you gain from being traumatized. But one of the benefits in me um, from being traumatized is that I'm really sensitive. So the benefit of sensitivity is that I can sit by a tree and listen and quite easily ask the tree a question like what you're talking about and receive beautiful messages mm-hmm. and i do the same thing with human bodies as well so i i weave some of that in my writing I'm d- I'm thinking about, you know, I had a, a I could read you a piece in a minute if you want me to. But um I have a piece specifically about an experience that I had with a cedar tree where um I was actually out on the Olympic Peninsula by Lake Crescent. I don't know if you ever went there. It's a beautiful yeah. deep, deep deep lake. Did you dip in there? Yeah. That's I'm so sure we
0: paddleboarded in it.
1: Yeah. So there's a, a, some cedar trees, trees there and I happened to be there and kind of like had my blanket and just nestled at the bottom of this cedar tree and I couldn't get up. I was like, oh my God, I just like, I feel so comforted laying here. I just have to stay here. Mm-hmm. And when I eventually got up, I had a whole kind of download from the trees about their relationship with one another and how they mm-hmm. survive and and I wrote a piece about it, so, so I have that piece. So I do let nature, I think, inform a lot, of, a lot of what I write about. I think also the sensitivity shows up in being a keen observer of details of the smaller detail, the finer details in things that maybe some people and having a, I I think I have a little bit of a poetic bent on some of the things that I see, you know, so Mm -hmm. it kind of, yeah, it kind of comes out a little bit like that too. And then of course, there's this dipping deeply in, taking what's outside in and what's inside out. Mm -hmm. I talk about that quite a lot in my writing, like, you know, the, the ability to have what's inside be on the outside, kind of like, like what you're saying about even talking back to grief a little bit, like that vulnerability actually produces strength. If you can really fully step into the vulnerability with your courage, mm-hmm. that you, you end up strengthened by it. Yeah. So I think it's it's kind of... Um, I think before I was maybe a little more censored, a little more like, I want to keep that stuff close to my chest. And now that I've been expressing and receiving validation for that kind of expression, I'm Mm -hmm. kind of like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. I can just be who I am. Mm -hmm. And just like nature, like a tree is a tree, right? It's Mm -hmm. not apologizing for how tall it is or the fact that its leaves are falling off right now. It's just doing what it's doing, you know?
0: yeah and that that was a conversation to me that I've had recently and it's like the tree is just a tree it's not trying to be anything else you know it's a tree it's a bird it's not trying to be anything and it's just being itself Mm -hmm. I'm not even gonna say it's happy just being itself because then I'm just like putting on a human a human feeling onto a tree you know like they they have their own way of feeling and I'm not saying (laughs) just saying how that should be We're nearly up to an hour here so I'm gonna Um, it's gone quickly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But how they can find out more about you or consider becoming a patron of yeah. you. Um, and if you wanted to sp- set share some of your writing to read, that would be lovely. Awesome. Yeah, I want.
1: I do have. I actually just I was recorded some pieces, so I have some audio on SoundCloud right now. Yeah, I think it's actually under my business name, which is Savara Sound. Um, so I have some audio there. I have um, an Instagram at Velda Thomas 11 or 11 is my like magic number. So I think it's 11. Um, and then the Patreon is just uh, patreon.com slash Velda Thomas. You can find me there. There's not, a, you actually have to become a member to really view a lot of the work there. So yeah. Um, that's that and I'm totally open to messages and any kind of interaction super fun it's so great to talk to you Cherie I'm loving this
0: it's so good to see you sweetheart.
1: I know I know hopefully one day we'll get to kind of together in the same country yeah. at some point that would be lovely maybe have a little dip together
0: that would be sweet that would be so awesome <laughs> It would, yeah but no let's not let's not leave it so long the next time yeah
1: i know i know and i'm so happy that you're doing this this is amazing thank you yeah it's such a good thing just to kind of bring that awareness around connection
0: yeah so much is possible yeah well thank you for your time and energy hopefully see you again soon
1: okay sweet
0: bye